Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of Orion's Belt, a games industry podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lance Tallman. And I'm one of your hosts, Connor Ball. And today, we got another design ingredients episode, and we're going to be talking about legacy systems. Legacy systems. Pretty, pretty sweet. Connor, this is our last episode for season one of Orion's Belt. How do you feel? I feel a little sad, but... We, we also, have, we made it, though. We did make it all the way here with a little, a little break in between the last one we did. But we're here. We're here. Uh, Connor and I both got jobs, you know, the classic plight of podcast recording. Uh, yeah, we got a little bit busy, um, but we wanted to get one more episode out before before we end this first season off. Yeah, we, we did pretty good. Okay, so we had nine episodes and then two bonus episodes, mm-hmm. one with Matt Anderson and one our last episode with Nick Bowles. If you didn't catch that one out, super great time. Nick's amazing. Um, go ahead and watch that. But... It's it's crazy. We're here. This is going to be the end of season one. I know we've we've covered a lot. We have. We, what we, have. Have we talked about? We talked about social deduction games. We talked about communication systems. We talked about Valorant. We talked about Scythe. Talked about Root. Yeah, we. I oh mean, we covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of ground. We we were we were playing a lot of games. You know, we were playing a lot of games during during the pandemic and you know having times like that. So it was it was a good it was a good time to talk about all that stuff. Yeah. So today what we're going to be talking about is what is a legacy system and basically how how to use that. It's as Connor said our second episode or our second yeah yeah our second episode of the design ingredients section like our second take on this. And so our first one was social deduction. We're talking about what makes a social deduction game good, what is a social deduction game, popular ones, etc. Um, and how that element really is like a mainstay or or how that element can be used to make a game really good. And so now we're going to be doing the same thing except with legacy systems. Uh, so let's go to our overview and then Connor will tell you what a legacy system is. So we're going to be talking about what are legacy systems, what do legacy systems do for games, some pros and cons, uh, do games even need legacy systems, and then how do you integrate legacy systems into games? And then after all that, we'll talk about the future of Orion's Belt, the, the big questions, where are we going, is there going to be a season two, yes, um, and stuff like that. Uh, so Connor, do you want to let us know what this is? Yeah, so I'll go ahead and give you guys a rough definition of what a legacy system is. Basically, it's a system in which permanence and progression are central to the core gameplay loop of the product. So traditionally, board games are kind of like a pick up and play. Every single time you pick it up, it's going to be like a new experience, a fresh experience, starting from scratch. Legacy is saying that, okay, actually, every single time you sit down to play the game, you're going to have made progress and the game is going to be different the next time you pick it up. And that's, I think, very, very cool because it's not something that you immediately go to as this is something that would be easy or fun or good to add to a board game. Um, We were kind of talking about this analogy of a toolbox, right? That traditionally, when you open up a board game, you've got all the tools available to you. And the fun part of it is seeing how the tools work, seeing how they work together, seeing which tools are better than others, stuff like that. With a legacy board game, instead you open up the toolbox and you only got a few tools. And as you go on, you get to choose which tools you want to add, but you only get to add a certain amount of tools. So then it's kind of like that sense of you're going to get better as you keep going and you get to kind of make your own choices and you make your own decisions and customize that toolbox instead of just having it given to you. Yeah, it's like the idea that... 
when you're given this new toolbox, this legacy toolbox, you can see that there are more tools there, but you have no idea what they are, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, you unlock them as you kind of go, and that makes it really compelling, super fun to kind of to kind of get through. Uh, do you want to talk about some popular games with legacy systems? Yeah, so I'd say th- one of the biggest um, legacy board games is Gloomhaven. The biggest. The Come biggest. Um, if you guys go on board game geek they kind of have a list of board games in terms of their rankings i'd say it's a pretty good source if you're ever looking for a new board game it's always a good idea totally. to check that out um but with their list of best board games gloomhaven has been number one for four years since years? it came out pretty much basically since it came out so it's probably yeah it's probably the best example but you also have things like risk legacy uh betrayal at house on the hill legacy um pandemic Pandemic Legacy. Pandemic yep. Legacy. Yeah, Pandemic Legacy. So there's a good few out there. Um, we have recently been playing a lot of Gloomhaven, and that's actually why we're doing this episode, because it's Definitely it's the impetus cool. for this episode, for sure. But there's not. There's definitely fewer Legacy games out there than other ones. Um, but they are cool. They are cool. And we'll kind of talk about why that is, especially when we get to this con section of the next uh, header, the next topic. So that'll be... Which will be, what do legacy systems do for games? And so why would you even implement a legacy system into a game, right? Because as we kind of... What's the problem with picking up a board game and just, you know, playing from there? I mean, that's what board games are supposed to be, right? Yeah, exactly. And and as we kind of covered, why would you want to play a board game where... Well, I don't know. You can only play it once, maybe, or you don't even have access to everything. Who knows? I mean, obviously, we're these are all leading questions because there's plenty of reasons why, um, and we'll get into that. So, what do legacy systems do for games? So, there's a bunch of things that we've listed here. The first one is progression and advancement. In a lot of board games, even ones that aren't legacy, there's some sort of progression system. Um, but with legacy board games in particular, usually that progression system is a little bit more rewarding or more motivational in some way because the progression is literally you gaining new components for your game that you didn't even know existed or you knew existed, but you didn't even know what they were, right? And so for a game like Risk Legacy, there's a bunch of factions and one of the things you can gain is literally a new faction ability that will permanently change the game every single time you play. And so that's huge. Like that's a huge motivator, right? Like that's a huge differentiator, um, being able to literally affect change in the game every single time, uh, you play it in the future, which is, uh, I, I think that significance really adds to it. Would you kind of agree, Connor? Oh yeah, I would definitely agree. And I think that kind of goes into the next point or one of our next points, anticipation, right? Having that sense of if you keep playing, you're going to get something, you're going to get a reward, you're going to get something new. That's just its own driving factor. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes hand in hand with investment, right? Because you're getting new things, you want to keep playing, you're really engaged in what's going on. Um, and as we'll talk about a little bit later, it's usually because in these legacy games, it's you, like you have your own thing that's getting better and maybe that's unique to you and not the other players at the table. So you really want your thing to get better. And because that's getting better, you're more motivated to keep playing the game through a longer stretch of time, uh, than other games. I would say overall, and you can check me on this, Connor, um, legacy games will require, way more play sessions and way more time investment than regular games simply because of how they're constructed. Would you agree? Yes, I would agree. And another way you can look at it, it's like following a trail of candy, but as you follow the trail, the candy gets better and better. Yes. Oh, I like that. That's cool. Right? Rather than just be given a bucket of candy and say, all right, go crazy. 
Yep. There's 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 a sort of sense of knowing that it's getting better and getting more advanced, getting more complicated. You're getting rewarded. There's just a sense of, oh wait, that makes this game way way cool. Yeah, and it's also not knowing what candy you're gonna find. Exactly. You know, maybe there is better. It's that candy, sense of mystery. But, it's that sense yeah. of you're gonna get improvements, but you don't know exactly how. That lack of information just makes makes the experience more interesting. Absolutely. And so one of the other um, pros, like why why would you put a legacy system into the game? is because usually these legacy systems are tied directly to player uniqueness. Like each player, let's say they have their own character or they're going to unlock another character. I'm specifically referencing Gloomhaven here. What Whatever legacy progress is made by that player, specifically as it relates to that character, is specific to them. So if Connor's playing Gloomhaven and he plays a bunch of sessions, he's directly impacting his future play experience, even if it might not be impacting someone else's. But because of that, Connor knows that since he's the only one who can affect change for his character, he wants to be at every play session. He wants to keep playing this game. He's directly invested in what happens because it affects you directly. Yeah. And then the last pro that I think is one of the biggest, at least one of the biggest pulls for me, is that the uniqueness, or not the uniqueness, the differentiation that this adds for a board game, and that it's not a very obvious thing that you would try to add onto a board game, right? The sense of progression and mystery comes up in a lot of different, like, entertainment platforms like shows right obviously with shows there's progression and advancement you start off small and then things get bigger and bigger and bigger and that's half the fun right with a board game that's just not as natural you don't think that's like oh board games should do this or like oh it'd be cool if a board game did this but then when you see it really really executed well and you're playing through it and you're experiencing these progressions and advancements that you just wouldn't really expect it just makes it really really exciting i I think it's just it's it's just impressive that you're able to do this with a board game. Absolutely. And I think it's that non-obvious differentiation that makes it that that much compelling. One of the core components that I don't think we touched on for legacy games is that you usually get components, um, and we talk a lot about, oh, you're unlocking new hidden things. The other edge of that sword is that you're going to be destroying other game components. Like in Gloomhaven, very frequently, you will rip up cards to never use again. You'd rip them up and throw them away. And that is both, uh, you can attest to this, Connor, the most terrifying and fulfilling thing of oh, yeah. anything, right? It seems so real to take a game component, tear it up because because the game tells you to do it, and then move on with your play experience. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it is that, it's that double-edged sword of you're getting new things, but you're also saying, all right, you're going to move forward this way and you can't look back. You can't take the other path. You can't take that other option. And who, as a game designer, initially it seems completely counterintuitive. Okay, I want my players to destroy my game as they're playing it because it'll be more fun for them. Right, like why would you you think to say, okay, here's my game. I have all these things, all these mechanics, all these events, but I only want my player base to play through some of them. Exactly. That seems like, well, wait, 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 what do you mean? You're not, you don't want them to get through all the content? Right. You're designing content that players may never encounter. And that's a huge other topic for like in video games too that becomes a huge thing designing specialty content for a minority of your players um but specifically as it relates to this the idea that you you want to buy a game that you'll have to destroy stuff also becomes a bad value at least on the surface a bad value proposition for consumers why would you want to play a game that has potentially no replay value exactly like, why? I'll just buy Monopoly and play 100 hours of Monopoly. I mean, 
usually with legacy games, the idea is, okay, the reason you're putting in this investment of money into an experience you'll probably only have once is because that experience is way longer than the regular game. So like Risk Legacy, I think it takes, uh, this. I haven't played Risk Legacy in years, but let's say it takes 10 games to get the full Risk Legacy experience. Well, that's 10 times the length of a normal Risk game. So that's why you buy Risk Legacy. Gloomhaven, sure, you can only play it once. It's like 150 hours. Oh, yeah. So. It's the same thing like if you had a TV show, right? Like every episode is a session or like a, a an instance of you playing the game, watching the show, but the entirety of it is the entire, you know, however many seasons, however many episodes you have to get through. And we'll go into the, uh, the TV show analogy in a second, but especially if you're thinking about a regular board game and a legacy board game and then like a regular TV show and a you know, legacy TV show. There are TV shows, let's say like WandaVision, which came out at time of recording a few months ago, that is very narratively inclined and there's a lot of twists and turns. And so the show's rewatchability is not that high. Like once you know all the twists, it's going to be hard for you to rewatch WandaVision. Yeah, that's true. But when you're watching WandaVision for the first time, it feels really fun because you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Whereas a show, maybe like a more formulaic show, like a crime show, like NCIS or something, you could potentially rewatch these episodes because of the sheer character interactions and stuff is enough enjoyment to, to keep going on. But that was that was a bit of a tangent. So let's jump to our cons section, Connor. So, yeah, we've been talking about, OK, well, you can only play once and, you know, oh, that's not that bad. But it, it also is kind of that bad. It is that right? bad. I mean, you're only you're getting this game to only play once. So if you, you know, finish it, you kind of put it on the shelf and you know that you're probably not going to come back to it. Yeah, what if you never touch it again? Either never again or not for a while. Exactly. And that does feel kind of bad, right? I mean, one of the great things about board games, right, is that when you have a whole collection, you can say, oh, let's see which one we want to play, right? Let's, oh, let's pick this one out. Let's pick this one out. I'm feeling this tonight. And that's really nice to have all these different board games to choose from. But a legacy game is going to be like, mm, no, you're going to play me once. You got to get through me. And that's it. And also, this goes to the next con. You have to be consistent with it. And even... Uh, and this gets right to consistency. Okay, yeah, let's just figure out which game we want to play tonight, blah, blah, blah. Legacy board games, even even if you haven't finished it, you usually need the same group to play them. And that can also cause problems. And that's kind of related to consistency when we're talking about you need like, there's a sense of necessary community in these. And do you want to kind of touch on that, Connor? Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and talk about the TV show analogy. Um First, to talk about consistency, and then I'll get into kind of the community that is needed. So with a TV show, right, you're expected to watch one episode and then the next episode and then the next episode. You're not just, you can't just say, all right, I'm going to pick out season three, episode five, right? You'd have no idea what's going on. Um, you'd have no backstory. It wouldn't make any sense, right? So you have to start from the start and keep going. But also you have to make sure that you're at least watching it somewhat consistently, right? I'm sure maybe... Some of you have experienced this. You start watching a show, you watch a season, and then you stop watching it. And then two or three months later, you say, oh, I want to get back and watch that show. But you don't really remember where you left off. And you say, okay, maybe I should just restart, start yeah. from season one again. Because um, you have to be consistent with it if you want to get the the value that it's trying to add with that you know, advancement and that progression. There are some TV shows, however, that don't do that. And a good example is Black Mirror. Black Mirror, every single episode is its own unique thing. So you really could say, I want to watch season three, episode five, and that'd be fine. You need no other backstory from any of the other episodes. Every single session, right, is its own unique experience. So that's great. I mean, shows are a different thing. You know, you can kind of just, maybe at the end of the work day, at night, you know, just sit down and watch an episode. 
Same when thing you, with like, sorry to jump in. Same thing with like Uno, right? Yeah. You can take three years from never playing Uno. It's and probably a good idea. Uno. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then you just play Uno. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's that same thing, right? It's that nice thing that you don't have to play Uno every single night, right? Or every single time you get down together to get to play board games. And that's one of the great things about board games. But when you add this legacy component, it's saying, hey, you know, like you have these advancements and maybe like a story component and you have to understand like where you've come from and where you're going. If you don't play that for a while, you're going to be less inclined to go back and start again. Absolutely. I'd, I'd say you could slot legacy board games into a similar slot as Dungeons and Dragons or any like role playing game that you're playing a campaign for. You have to get this group of people together every few weeks or every week, whatever it may be. That way, the narrative is cohesive and people don't forget things that happened in the last session. This is like a, usually a central component to legacy games or at the very least having played the game recently is central to having that extra knowledge for your legacy components or maybe that upgrade you just got, whatever it may be. Yeah. And that's when it gets into the community, right? You need to have other people's other people there. And that is the case usually for most board games. There are usually single player variants, and those can be fun. Maybe some people enjoy that. But I'd say generally a board game was probably built to be played with other players, and that's where you're going to find the most entertainment out of it. Um, but the fact is that you need to be doing that consistently is what makes it harder, right? Right, and I think this is why it's a con, because it's hard to meet up consistently with other people. You know, if you're watching, back to the TV show analogy, if you're watching a TV show with five people it's really hard to coordinate getting all five of you together to watch the show as it comes out, right? Oh, like, yeah. That's just hard. Five people have five different schedules. I mean, we've been having this problem very recently with some new shows that have been coming out. Absolutely. And so with a game like Gloomhaven, for example, when you have a party of four, it's hard to coordinate four of the same people to get together. Consistently. And play this game consistently. Yeah. And so that's why it's a con, right? There's a pro in the sense that, oh, you get to play this amazing experience and share it with four people. But it's also a con because it's hard to do that consistently when people are living their lives. Exactly. I mean, there is a lot of other things like this. Like, yeah, when Lance brought up Dungeons and Dragons kind of has the same problem. You got to be consistent. You have to say, okay, we're going to get together every week, every other week. Because if you don't get together consistently enough, it's not going to be as enjoyable. Yeah. And so that kind of brings us to our next topic, which is are legacy systems needed? If if they are, there are some cons, right? Like a game like Uno cost-benefit analysis is probably not going to benefit from a legacy system legacy True. uno probably not going to be that fun yeah unlocking new cards to play for uno is probably not why you're playing uno exactly you're probably playing it for a lot more of a casual experience so are legacy systems needed in every board game i mean i think the obvious low-hanging fruit answer is no there's no yes. way they're needed in there's every board needed, game no but let's talk about some examples of games, Connor, that we've played, or some actually some of these we haven't played, but some we have, um, that have both legacy and non-legacy versions. And let's talk about what we think are the advantages of each. So let's start, start with the first one. So the first one is, I think I mentioned earlier, is Betrayal at the House on the Hill. We have been playing Betrayal at the House on the Hill for a good bit, the non-legacy version that is. like be four or five years oh, now. Oh yeah, and it's a really fun game. It's a really great game. It's not crazy complex, um, but they do have a legacy version of it. We've never played it. Correct. Um, but we have contemplated getting it many times. Um, but yeah, it basically adds, okay, hey, what you usually do in Betrayal at the Houses of Hill, right? You you know, sit down and you say, okay, we're going to play through, and then a certain haunt's going to happen, and then whatever, whatever, whatever. With Betrayal, with the legacy version, it's going to say, okay, well, every single time you get through a haunt, things are going to change for the next time you play, right? Absolutely. So is that needed for Betrayal at the House of the Hill? Well, here's the thing. Betrayal at the House 
on the hill already has like some quote-unquote legacy components into it like the, the core game in that you know you know how there's there's a bunch of different scenarios that will cause traitors and there's it's an asymmetrical game which i there's no way we don't talk about asymmetry in one of our podcast episodes we totally do go find that episode um but the asymmetry of the game oh it's in our root episode i think that's episode yeah. three um so the asymmetry of the game already gives it kind of a legacy vibe um and so because of that, you know, when you run into something you've already done, there are times when you're like, okay, I'm just going to choose a different thing to do. So does a legacy version add a lot to that experience? I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. Like I said, we haven't played it, but I'm just speculating. When you when you go through it, like you said, you unlock new things um, as you play the game. I know that's like the whole vibe with the Betrayal legacy version. And does that add a lot to the experience? I mean, I would argue it's more of a gimmick to add to it and we'll talk specifically about like risk legacy and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on that in a little bit um but for this i don't know how much it would affect the experience i mean i think for me just of who i am that's always going to be a more fun experience to get a little bit of legacy but from a consumer standpoint it's probably better to just buy betrayal at the house on the hill not legacy version i yeah i don't know if the legacy component is really going to change your life right because i do think adding a legacy component it is going to somewhat diminish who's buying your game yep absolutely uh to what extent that's a little bit unknown but it does it, like i said it adds more commitment it adds more things that you have to do which makes it you know somewhat less appealing because it's it's you know it's a it's just a bigger a bigger deal to be playing a legacy game than just a regular board game absolutely and so for these other examples we have with like werewolf legacy pandemic legacy I mean, you've played Werewolf. I, I assume our, many, most of our listeners have probably played Werewolf or some version of this. This is like your classic party game, like Mafia or Werewolf or Town of Salem, whatever you want to call it, um, where, you know, there's like a narrator who narrates and you vote, or the, like werewolves or mafia members or whatever, they kill people at night. In the morning, you wake up, blah, blah, blah. People just fig- try to figure out who's who and execute somebody. And then it kind of plays cyclically until you either kill all the werewolves or the werewolves kill all of you, whatever. Um, that's kind of like your your standard thing. And so I would argue that making a legacy version of that, that adds more complexity to what is real a relatively simple game. Is that a good thing? I don't know. I think it depends on who you are and what you're looking for in a game. Um, so is that legacy system needed? Well, obviously there's options. You can just buy regular Werewolf or Werewolf Legacy. Um, but that leads us to our Connor question so we can really dive into this, which, you know, we're bringing it back. We've used it like a few times throughout the series. So our Connor question, can a legacy system make a bad game better, Connor? Or maybe even less like black and white? Does adding complexity via a legacy system make a game better? Okay. This is a very interesting question. I personally think that it depends on how you're adding legacy into the game. What I mean by that is, take Betrayal at the House on the Hill, for example. I think originally that game was not legacy, right? They made the base game, came out with it, and then they said, oh, let's make a legacy version, right? That's great and all, but if you just kind of, like, pin legacy, like, pin legacy aspects onto a game... It's going to be cool. It's going to add that legacy feel to it. But the base game is still the base game. And legacy really does more if it's well integrated within the game itself. And I'm going to use Gloomhaven as an example. Like I said, Gloomhaven's been number one on BoardGameGeek.com for a very long time. And I think it's 
well deserving of that title. It's a crazy cool game. Um, if you really like board games, play a lot of board games. You've got a lot of friends that like it to play board games. I would recommend picking it up. I think it's a very, very cool experience. And I think one of the reasons why is because the game itself, I'm assuming, yes, was designed. It is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> was designed around the fact that it's gonna be legacy, and so the gameplay mechanics itself are at least somewhat intertwined with the legacy mechanics. And that makes it feel a lot better, right? It's not just like you're playing a game and then, okay, you completed a game, now you get something, right? Because at that point, why not just give them everything right away if it's just kind of like you're just adding new things? Again, I don't really know how Legacy Betrayal at the House of the Hill works, but when it's more intertwined with mechanics of the game, unlocking it feels more connected with the game itself and not just like you're playing the game and then you unlock something right right tagging it on just kind of makes that separation which i don't think does a lot for the game itself if you like legacy you'll probably enjoy the game more but i don't think it makes a good game better or sorry a bad game better yeah i mean i would i don't know i think I think in my experience, I'm going to use Risk Legacy, which I have played a good amount of as an example. And what, okay, most of you have probably played Risk. It's your classic game of global domination. I will be the first to tell you that I hate Risk. I think it's a terrible game. It's not very much fun for me. Whatever. That's just who I am. Don't like Risk. Whatever. I always hole up in Australia and then lose. It's probably why I don't like the game. Um, But basically, the Risk Legacy version, what it does is it gives every player a faction with, like, some sort of faction passive, and then you, like, upgrade that as you go along. Similar to other Legacy games, there's, like, boxes you start with that you can't open until you play a certain amount of games. Um, The actual game map changes permanently, like, things happen on the map um, to make, say, like, one location worth more points, or maybe it's worth more points if you do certain things, whatever. Uh... I think Risk Legacy is poorly designed, in my opinion, because the factions are meant to... You, like, get a random faction each time you play, which I think kind of ruins that Legacy experience for me. I mean, that's a whole other episode. But um, overall, like, I hate the game of Risk. I like Risk Legacy a little bit better, but it kind of just feels like window dressing for the game of Risk that I still don't like, right? Yeah. And so I think that's kind of exactly what you're saying, Connor. Um, I like Legacy games. I love Legacy games. I think they're so much fun. Risk Legacy... Is it better than Risk? I mean, yeah, but it's still just Risk. I'm you, still playing Risk. You're still playing Risk. You're at, you're spicing it up, right? I'm you, spicing up Risk. You're changing up. You're changing up the map. You're changing up your factions so they do. You know, there's different things you can do, but at its foundation, you're still playing Risk. And I still don't like Risk. And so I, I would I would argue that no, a legacy a legacy. It's hard. It's like yes and no. Yes, it can make it better, but no, I don't think it makes it better in a way that directly affects the core gameplay loop, unless what you're doing is redesigning a game to really fit in the fundamentals of Legacy, uh, which I'm sure there are games out there that do that. Um, maybe some of these we've mentioned and just haven't played, like Trail. But in my experience, no. Uh, it, it's not going to directly affect a bad game. You're just going to make the bad game more palatable. Yeah, like you're adding spice. You're adding the spices, but you still got to match the food to the spices. Exactly. Because that the end of the day, that's what you're eating. We're really big on metaphors today. I'm telling you, it's the best <laughs> way to convey our points. Um, okay, so that's that's basically what we're talking about um, in regards to our legacy systems needed. That's Those are the points we've made. One, one extra thing that we're about to get into anyways is there has to be more complexity for a legacy game, which is going to make the barrier to entry higher. It's going to make it harder to learn. Um, so as Connor's saying, he's recommending Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven, incredible game. 
also a really hard game to grok. <laughs> it is also ridiculous. you might you might want someone who likes to read rules because it's crazy. Lots of rules at Connerball. Loves <laughs> to read rules. Um, but yeah, so that's just another maybe knock against legacy games. Um, so how do we integrate legacy systems into games? Basically, we're talking about okay, we don't think a bad game can be better by you know just slapping legacy onto it. So how do you redesign a game or design a game with a legacy system in mind from the ground up how do you integrate legacy systems into games um or do it from the ground up so the main things that you want to do like we said when we were talking about this earlier the two main points of legacy is to add progression and to add permanence right so add you're going from worse to better uh or standard to unique right like you're starting out with kind of like basic tools and getting way more unique tools as you keep playing. And also you only get to choose certain tools, right? You're not going to unlock everything. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is, this is something you want to do from the ground up. Um, you want to build a progression system into this game, right? Like the progression system needs to feel meaningful. Going back to risk legacy, there is no progression system in risk outside of the core game because risk is meant to be played as like a one-off thing, right? So, a progress adding a progression system which there is one kind of it's like a faction-based progression system um it feels a little bit on the nose exactly you need to you need to establish what your main gameplay loop is going to look like right however you want that to look like and then you need to say how can i directly maybe not drastically but directly change this loop with unlocking new things with the legacy component and I think, let's go back to Gloomhaven, because Gloomhaven does this in two ways. There's a diegetic way that they um, implement progression and a meta, uh, like from a meta perspective, way that they implement progression. So diegetically, in Gloomhaven, what you're doing is you are improving the city of Gloomhaven. It is gaining prosperity as you complete these legacy objectives and go through the game. That is like the diegetic way that you're improving the game. Conversely, me as a player of Gloomhaven, I am progressing by unlocking all these characters and finding out, opening envelopes that I haven't seen yet, envelopes, um, and discovering all this new information that, you know, in a way may, it will eventually kind of tie into the game, but really is like for me as a player um, versus the prosperity of Gloomhaven, which is for my character when they retire, they're making the place better um, or perhaps worse based off things that happen in the game, um, but stuff like that. Would you kind of agree with that? Comment? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And basically back to that point, when you unlock, so at the core of Gloomhaven, when you're playing through a scenario, right? Like one instance of a game for like two hours, you have a hand of cards and that is how you achieve the game. That's how you win. That's how you maybe lose by based off of this hand of cards. But every single character has a different hand of cards. And as you continue to play, you get better cards or you get a different character who has completely different cards, right? That's directly altering the core gameplay or changing the core gameplay loop, right? You're not just adding spice, right? You're actually changing what meat you're, you're working with. Yeah, the core gameplay loop is directly changing as you progress through the game. Additionally, like enemies will level up as you get for uh, farther and farther into the game you're gonna have a different power level you're facing different narrative events are going to be going on to change your perception of the game world like scenarios are one-offs right you don't replay a scenario usually in gloomhaven you're going to go to the next one right that it's legacy in that regard and we'll touch on how a lot of video games can seem legacy in a little bit 
Um, but the, but these are some of the mainstays of the genre that are directly tied into Gloomhaven's construction. Exactly. Um, another big one, I think personally, this is a big big one. Okay. Is hidden information. Absolutely. I think that limiting what your players know that they're going to change or unlock makes it way way more exciting and way way more impelling to say i want to come play this again absolutely i mean we talked about the motivational component of legacy games earlier on and this is pretty much directly uh, influenced by hidden information because you don't know what's in that cool locked box and you want to unlock it you really want to like grind missions in gloomhaven or maybe even you know play a bunch of risk legacy games so you can figure out what's in the box what's it going to do um, and when you do open that box and it's something super cool and unique, it feels incredible. Exactly. Because if you knew, if you knew, let's say you had three paths to choose from and you knew it was at the end of each path, well, that would make your decision a lot easier, right? And it'd be a lot more stale, I it's guess. It's more mechanical, more you statistical. Can, more statistical. You can say like, oh, well, this one's better for this reason. I'm going to go down this path. But when you don't know, but you're giving some information, you know, like very little, like, okay, you know this small bit about this path and this small bit about this path that adds that sense of mystery and like well i don't i don't know which one i'm going to do i mean this could be like this and that gets your imagination flowing and and what it could be and that's and that is where legacy games legacy board games really really become fun and become cool absolutely so because there's the surface level hidden information like the legacy components are uh, obfuscated from players like they they just don't know what's in the boxes and then there's the actual gameplay obfuscation so in Gloomhaven, for example, you're doing a road event, uh, but basically you're you're given you know a fork in the road. You choose one of two things, and they give you some sort of like narrative impetus for what's going on. Maybe a guy's on the side of the road and he wants like a potion. You can either give him your potion or walk away from him, and he'll just be like, "Oh, why didn't you help me?" Blah blah blah. The game will quickly set a precedent and let you know that these the ramifications of your choices will be great or maybe insignificant but there'll be some sort of major effect let's say you never help the guy and it tells you to tear up the card who knows what would have happened if you actually helped him oh yeah like that card is gone and you will never encounter it again or maybe you help him and he you know goes and tells the town about how amazing you are and you gain like five reputation who knows like this these are like usually some big um tangible effects and the game will do a good job of setting a precedent and telling you that. that that's what legacy games typically do they they make it so the uh, the consequences of your actions are more impactful and that's directly because they're allowing you and telling you up front that you will unlock new things or tear up components of the game like since you're getting more risky and more um potentially cool rewards they're able to do a little bit more in the gameplay mechanics yeah and with that you do have to make sure you do give them something though you got to get them something to say "Ooh, this piques my interest you know get them just give them a little little bit that you know kind of starts them in that direction right because you have to give them some information so that they can at least maybe construct something in their mind what they think it is Absolutely, yeah. Some, you know, cryptic symbol or, you know, some, the the box size, right? A the big box, box size. Like, oh, this must be a huge minifigure. Mini or what's like something that. that's really cool, when it comes to unlocking characters in Gloomhaven, basically you're given like an objective to complete and that objective has a theme. Maybe it's like, oh, you've got to go here and do this or you've got to kill these things. But it gives you a little backstory and that backstory is going to be directly related to the character. And what the character, maybe what the character does, maybe what the character is supposed to represent. And giving that information to players, right, that doesn't tell them at all what the character does. But it does give some information what 
character could do, right? You could speculate as to, okay, mm-hmm. well, if this is why I need to complete this objective and unlock this character, what would that mean for what the character does? Absolutely. Um, and it, it's so it's leveraging this sense of permanence. That is what makes legacy games able to maybe have, give players an enhanced experience. And so that's basically, I mean, that's basically it. That's how you integrate them. You're, you want to put in um, tracked progression, going from worse to better, standard to unique, maybe even, you know, better to worse, whatever it may be. Add some hidden information. Make sure you're leveraging that sense of permanence. And in that way, obviously these are very general because we don't, you know, it, very, each legacy game is so different. Gloomhaven is immensely different from Risk Legacy. Uh, but by doing that, you're really creating this experience that's going to be unique, one of a kind, and you have to do that because the value proposition is going to be lower, blah, 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 everything we've kind of talked about earlier. So now we get to our question for Connor, which is kind hold of on, expanding. Hold on, two, oh, two oh. questions for Connor? Is that uh, uh, is that allowed? Uh, it is allowed. Oh we're, hey, it's oh the last episode. Gosh. We're splurging. You know? <laughs> um, and so we're taking this in a way that uh, kind of expands this question about legacy games, uh, because as you have obviously noticed we're talking especially about board games this episode but as i mentioned a little bit earlier are there legacy video games connor are there legacy systems in video games what how does this apply once we move genres i would say for that matter that most video games are legacy in some fashion um and i think the main reason for this is that it's easier to integrate with like software right like you can you can kind of direct and choose through coding right and just the application itself progression it's a lot easier to do rather than saying okay i'm going to give you the pieces to do progression but you have to track it all right like well that's really interesting because it sounds like what you're talking about is the difference between constraints and rules which i'm pretty sure we we covered in an episode maybe so maybe that would be crazy (laughs) but that actually does relate i think very much towards the are there legacy video games? Most like video games, I think, are legacy, right? You in most video games, you do have progression, and that's a lot easier to do within constraints. But within rules, you have to be a lot more explicit as to you have to do this, this, and this to progress, right? And that puts a lot more work on the players of a board game. Um, and I'll just give a few examples: Binding of Isaac, or you know, roguelikes in general. Usually, you start out, and even though you're doing the same thing, same thing over and over again, like you would with a board game like the same core gameplay loop, you unlock more items as you play, right? So after you play Binding of Isaac for like 50 hours or whatever, you have a lot more items that you can find and that alters the game. There's also kind of like, okay, you have to do this and then you don't get to do this in other games. And an example is Banner Saga. Banner Saga is like a narrative choice-based game. And, you know, you'll come to a crossroads and you have to choose an option. And when you choose that option, you can't go back. You're going to choose that option. That's going to have implications on the world, on your game, on the story. And if you don't like it, that sucks. It happened. Can't go back. Right. Like Detroit Become Human. We're talking about a game with like 27 different endings. You can only have one of those endings. Sure, you can replay the game. But just like with Gloomhaven, you could buy a new Gloomhaven to see what's on those teared up cards. Or, you know, because it's rules versus constraints, you could just not tear up the card. Um, but th- yeah, that's how they're fundamentally that's kind of where these legacy board games are pulling from like the narrative choice based games and the you know roguelike or even you know limited progression that even call of duty has right you're progressing maybe you don't know what gun you unlock but you're gonna unlock something and they can hide that from you because it's a video game they can just not show you the cool box exactly and so that's why i was saying I'll, i'll go back to this one more time about why it's so cool that a board game does it because if you think about it 
just like with the rules and constraints, it's way harder, right? And way more complicated to add progression to rules and like a rules-based game, board games, than to video games, where it's very easy to implement. Yeah, you got to jump through a lot more hoops for sure. And so when that's pulled off well, it's just, wow. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's pretty much what we have. Is there anything else you want to say, Connor, in regards to legacy systems? No, I think that's it. I think legacy games are more of a commitment, but if you are a big board game fan and you love playing board games, I think you should try legacy out. If you haven't, I think it really, you know, adds a lot more to the experience and also play Gloomhaven. The game's crazy, crazy good. It's so good. I mean, I think we can both say in our subjective opinions, we prefer legacy games to non-legacy games. Yes. With that said, we have a massive shelf of board games right next to us where 99% of them are not legacy, right? We talked about Scythe, not a legacy game. And so we obviously enjoy our fill of non-legacy games, but that uniqueness, that specialness, it's just so much fun. So now we kind of move to our last section. This is like a bonus section, kind of. Um, We're going to talk about the future of Orion's Belt just for a few minutes and kind of what's gone on, what's transpired, what's going on in our lives and, you know when potentially season two will come out what we're going to talk about in season two bunch of a bunch of big questions and spoiler alert connor and i have not outlined this section so it'll be a little bit disorganized um but to start out so orion's belt started last year uh we recorded three episodes on a bunch of weird equipment before lance knew lance being me uh how do you uh, uh do a lot of audio editing and make sure our system and equipment was working smoothly and the audio quality was so bad uh all of those don't exist anymore like you can't find those episodes um although we did have some pretty cool stuff to talk about we did one about the banner saga and like meta narrative that i was really proud of um but unfortunately that episode is lost in the ether and you cannot find it uh the matt the only surviving remnant of that the old orion's belt was the episode we did with matt um because that was like pre-pandemic and because of that it was a long time ago and the the audio quality is really bad but that's a great episode matt's an amazing guy um i'll talk about that in a second um but that's kind of where we were and now we've recorded 11 episodes with two bonus episodes uh we are well on the way out of the pandemic and yeah we have connor and i are both seniors in college now i don't think we've ever kind of talked about we've probably alluded to that we're university students um but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of going crazy. And so as such, you know, this is the summer before our senior year. Um, we had a bunch of stuff. We were, we've been working full time. I think it's unrealistic to expect that we're going to get season two out before summer of next year. I mean, who knows? We'll post probably some stuff, but it's not going to be nearly as consistent as we were, especially at the beginning of this year. Yeah, there's just a lot of things coming up. And yeah, especially with our senior year and we've got capstone projects we have to work on. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of other life things coming up. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't imagine we would get it out too soon. So, I mean, giving that, I want to, because I don't know what's going to happen if we're going to have any more episodes. I'm going to, you know, have a, have us plug ourselves a little bit because, you know, this is the closing, closing out. So Connor, I mean, what's, what's coming down the pipeline for you? What do you, what, what do you, what's, what can we expect from Connor Ball in the next year? So yeah, I'm going into my senior year of college, um, as a computer science major and it's been really good so far. And this summer I've been working as an intern at Lucid Software. Um, and it's been a really, really cool experience. Uh, what that means for me in the future, I've got no idea. I'm going to graduate college and then hopefully 
find some sort of job in computer science. That's the plan for me. Um, but there's definitely a lot of big decisions and a lot of work that kind of needs to be done um, in that regard coming up on my senior year. So very excited, big transition, but that's that's kind of where I'm headed and still playing games along the way, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, Connor is a CS major. I'm a games major. Obviously, that's kind of the impetus for this podcast. We both love video games. Um, but what I checked, or wow, I can't speak. We talked about this a little bit on our last episode um, with me and Nick. Uh, so as of now, there are two games officially that I've fully released, fully released, um, and that's Sting, an audio detective game, which I absolutely adore. Great game. It's an alternative game designed from the ground up to be played blind. Um, so you can go find that on itch.io, Sting, an audio detective game. And then there's Remnants, spelled R-E-M-N-A-N-C-E, you know, the classic weird spelling that most games have. Um, and that's a triad game. It's more of like a prototype beta phase, um, and that was for uh, another class project, and you can learn all about that in the uh, the previous episode. But going forward, Connor was mentioning Capstone, so there will be a Capstone game that I will release and publish at some point. Who knows? That will be probably may of next year you'll be able to find us on the you know, the university of utah's like eae play and eae launch streams on twitch and a bunch of other stuff like that and then the big thing that i want to make sure i plug before we we say goodbye is singularity and so i talk about this probably a little bit in episode not or episode 10 but also on the episode with matt which is crazy because that was over a year ago um singularity is a physical card game that is all about total control there's no rng in the game and it is it's been in development now for six years maybe almost seven years crazy and we are kickstarting april 15th of 2022 at time of this recording so oh excuse me um so right now uh, eventually hopefully you know in the next eight months you'll be able to go to playsingularity.com so that'll be our, our kind of landing page and you'll be able to learn all about the game. It's an incredible card game. I've been working with some really amazing industry professionals on it and it should be great. So April 15th of next year, go on Kickstarter, support us, back us. It'll be incredible. And we hope you'll love the game. It, it should be super fun. You should really check it out. It's it's quite a cool game. Lance has been talking all about it because he's been working on it for a while. I think it's going to be really cool. It should be awesome. Um, thank you for saying that, Connor. I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, so that's pretty much, that's been us. We'll be back for season two eventually. And, you know, stay tuned. We'll, we'll pop up in the ether doing a bunch of cool stuff here in the next few years. Just stay tuned for, for more of Lance Tallman and Connor Ball. Um, but thank you, as always, for tuning in to Orion's Belt, a games industry podcast. Your support means the world. And we will see you next time.